the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, all right, all right. Let's turn to 1 John. Way in the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. It's way past Peter and all that. I'm not talking about the gospel of John, but I'm talking about 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 19. This is one of those scriptures that I'm going to use that's going to kind of like sum up what the message is going to be about. It's pretty awesome. It has everything that... It's one of those times where I had a, a message and an understanding of what I wanted to preach, and I found one scripture that summed it all up. And I was like... There you go. It wasn't like I found it. I think it found me. 1 John 3.19. We'll read through verse 22. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. It says, By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Say assure. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So we see several truths there. And <laughs> It starts off, that by this you shall know the truth, right? And you shall have your hearts assured. God gives us assurances. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows all things. See, God doesn't want your heart condemned. <coughs> condemned, when I used to think of the word condemned, I used to think, I feel condemnation. And I looked at condemnation as a feeling. It's the way I feel. I feel beat down. I feel like I've come up short. I feel less than. I feel unworthy. And I'm under condemnation. But condemnation is not just a feeling. Condemnation is a reality. In the sense that we are condemned. Until we come to Jesus. Just like a. The judge sits up there with that gavel, and I didn't bring my gavel tonight. I condemn you to three years in the prison. You know, you are condemned because of our crimes. We were under a sentence of death. But it's saying here, if we know the truth, our hearts can be assured, and we don't have to be under condemnation. Our condemnation was taken away. Our debt to society, our debt to our holy God was paid. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And that's where God wants you. He don't want you condemned. He wants you to have confidence in His finished work 
that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then we will have confidence that we can receive everything that we ask of him because we will have confidence to walk in the fullness of the power that he has provided for us so that we can do his commandments. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And that life is in the doing of the word of God. The devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants your mind just racked with condemnation, guilt. And he wants you looking at you. And the Bible says, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's about what you're looking at. It's about what you're believing. But I'm getting way, way ahead of myself, so let me slow down. Tonight we're going to discuss the assurances that we have as believers. So some of them. There's a lot of them, but not. we're just going to uh, talk about the assurances that can drive out condemnation. And give us confidence towards God. And that confidence will cause us to keep His commandments. And when we keep His commandments, we'll receive God's best for our lives. Do you see how they work in, in tandem with each other? You need one to get to the next. Well, how many remembers the story I told about me and my friend Hal going to the lake and seeing how fast his boat would go in reverse? That wasn't the only time me and my friend Hal went to the lake. Most of the time we went down there to Lakeview over in Walls. Y'all know where that is? It used to be a public lake. I think it's private now, but we used to go there all the time. And uh, this other time we went, we just took his dad's John boat. It wasn't a fiberglass bass boat. It was just a little John boat. It had a little 10-horse mercury on there. We went that afternoon, and we drove all the way to the back of the lake. And the water was just right for brim fishing. At the back of the lake, there was a bunch of, it was a stump bed. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful weather. And uh, we got there, and I just sat on the front of the boat with my, my feet dangling in the water with the brim pole and some crickets. And we would hit one. We would fish this one stump. And when we fished it out, I I had my foot holding still on one another stump. And I'd push us over to the next stump. And I'd put my foot out and stop. And, we'd, and it was just easy fishing. Didn't need a trolling motor or anything. And we was fishing, and we was catching them. And it was beautiful weather, and me and Howe was just really enjoying the day. And a couple, about an hour before dark, we see these clouds coming. You can see them over the tree line. I said, Howe, we better get going, man. It looks like it's going to storm. He said, oh, we can outrun that. Let's catch another one. So we keep fishing. I mean, it was fun. We didn't want to stop. And we were catching them, you know. We'd catch another one, and we'd look up. I said, Howe, I think we really better go. He said, one more. By the time we fished a couple more stumps and caught another fish, I was feeling raindrops. He said, crank her up. We put the poles in the boat and went back there. He was trying to start that 10-horse mercury, and that old thing let us down. It wouldn't crank. And we was back at the end of the lake, and there was a thunderstorm on us. By now, sheets of rain was coming down, and it wasn't going to do to push from one stump to the next. We had about a mile to go to get back to the boat, or about two miles. And nothing but an old trolling motor. So here we are trolling down the lake. And that storm is right overhead. And I don't know if you've ever been in an aluminum boat, barefooted, soaking wet, in the middle of a storm with lightning crashing all around. But it can be a fearful thing. <laughs> and I thought, 
And I think back, I, I, isn't that like people? We wait to the last moment. Some people wait to the last moment to do everything. And there's people out there waiting to the last moment to get saved. They think they're going to catch one more brim before God comes back. And they don't know when he's coming back. And they don't know if their motor is going to have enough to get them back to shore. And you know what I'm saying? How many people think I survived that boat trip? Well, I'll let you know later. But right now, we got to get into our message, right? We've been talking about our salvation cliff notes. You probably already have them in your Bible by now. We've discussed in the first week how God loves you, then how you ain't so lovable the next week. God's offer, what he offers sinners, and that, you know, is redemption, salvation through trusting in Christ, through faith in the Lord Jesus, making him the Lord of your life. We talked about the promise, how good it was. We talked uh, about how to, how to lead somebody, what, what the qualifications are to get them saved last week. And we talked about how to lead them through the sinner's prayer. Well, this week, we're starting a new message. Well, it's the same uh, series entitled Soul Winners, but tonight's message is part five, Blessed Assurance. Okay, so you, you led them to Christ. How can you assure them, and should you assure them, that they have eternal life? That's a good question. We're going to talk about four basic assurances that God gives us. And there's way more than that. There's all kinds of promises in the Bible, and you can use them as assurances. But we're going to talk about four major assurances that you might need to know about if you're going to tell somebody else about uh, what has happened in their life and what they can expect after they get saved. Assurance number one. If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are assured of a home in heaven. That's an assurance. John 5.24 says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. That's a home in heaven. That's, that's life now and that's life beyond this this earthly life that we live they will never be what condemned there's that word again see god is concerned about you being condemned after you've given your heart to him the first thing he's turning around he's saying you can have eternal life and i don't want you condemned you were condemned you're not condemned now if you listen to my message and believe in god who sent me you have eternal life, and they will never be condemned for their sins, for they have already passed from death to life. They've made the transition. Remember we talked about last week that there is a point when the Holy Spirit comes in. It's a one-time experience when you went from death to life. If you went to 1 John chapter 5, John loves giving us the assurance of our faith, in verse 11 it says, and this is what God has testified. And if God testifies, you can take it to the bank. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son, or God's Son, does not have life. So it's pretty clear you either have jesus and you have the father or you don't have jesus and don't have the father you can't have the father without jesus what jesus say 
No man comes to me except, no man comes to the Father except through me. Verse 13, he says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you confident. In fact, he says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. God's listening. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know he will give us what we ask for. Man, that's a good assurance. That's a promise right there. If you ask for anything according to his will, you know that he hears you and he will give you what you ask. No other religion gives us this blessed assurance of our salvation. I mean, it says right there that you can know. But all the other religions are out there hoping. They're guessing. Most of the cults, the, uh, the, the Muslims, some of them, I don't know what they're believing. They're just believing the, to uh, meditate their way to nirvana or something. I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, New Age spiritualism. Or, but mo- most of the other religions, are, it, you might get to go to heaven if you're good enough. And you know why they do that? It's straight up manipulation. Because it's all, it's only one God and the rest of it's from the devil. And so the devil's just trying to manipulate you. He's dangling that carrot. If you're good enough, if you do this, in fact, the Muslims say what? It, uh, that, that, that if you are martyred for Allah's sake, that you'll have 72 virgins in heaven. Now, where are they going to get these virgins? And is that really a godly promise that you get to have 72 women when you get there? I mean, it sounds like a little manipulation to get you to kill innocent women and children. Does that sound like it comes from God? Okay, so you're with me. But our God is not like that. He doesn't want to hold it over your head that, oh, you're not being good enough. You're going to have to try hard enough. You know, we do that to our children sometimes. We just, they used to call me uh, Mr. Guilt or Captain Guilt, I think it was, was my official name because I had a background of being guilted. I, I've got some famous guilters in my history, in my, in my lineage. <laughs> I mean, some of the top-notch guilter, guilt trippers in the world are in my family tree, okay? <laughs> some of you may identify. So it's been a long, and, and I still struggle with not guilt tripping people to get what I want. But God doesn't do that to us. He wants you to know that you have eternal life and He wants you to act. He wants you to act right because you want to. Because you want to show Him the love back that you're overwhelmed by His love and goodness and you want to respond in kind. He don't want you just going through life, well, I hope I'm, I'm good enough to get to heaven. And so many people are in that position around the world today. Because that's the way they've understood the gospel and the devil has made sure that that's what they hear. You've got to be good enough. They look at us and say, they're not no better than me, you know. So why do I need that? They don't understand. We're, we're not perfect people. We're just saved, forgiven people. And so we need to make that clear, right? So assurance number one, 
If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you've given him your heart, you repented in the things that we talked about in earlier messages, a simple putting your faith in the Son of God, you have assurance of a home in heaven. Assurance number two is, we have assurance of a home in hell if we don't. If we reject so great a salvation, if we say, no, I don't want the Son of God. I don't care what He did on the cross. It means nothing to me. You know, I'm good enough. I, I'm better than so. I'll take my chances. You can be assured that you, your resting place for all of eternity will be in hell. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You're scaring me, Pastor. Shouldn't scare the believer, but it should scare the unbeliever. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so we've heard the truth, right? We've heard what Jesus did. You've presented the gospel to the person, but they deliberately keep on sinning after they've heard the truth. There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. If you ain't trusting in the blood of Jesus, brother, there's nothing else that's going to help you. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which makes us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. What is God supposed to do when He sent His only Son to die on your cross and you reject it and you just trample through His blood and laugh? And you just show disdain for His Holy Spirit who's here to help you. For we know the one who says, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge His own people. There's coming a judgment for the way we behave as Christians. But in verse 31 it says, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Wow. John 3.35 says, The Father loves His Son has put everything into His Son's hands. In other words, Jesus is the judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Fine. We want you to believe. But anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. They remain under God's wrath, which is where we were before we made Jesus Lord of our lives. We were all under God's wrath because all had sinned and fallen short of God's glory, glorious standards. But now you're scaring me, Pastor. <laughs> but I want you to know, we need more of this preaching. The world needs to hear this. And, and, the, and you as saints and you as soul winners do not need to be ashamed to say that there is a heaven and that there is a hell to shun. Because fear is a legitimate tool in soul winning. 
You should fear a holy God. We fear a holy God. And we're His children. Not fear Him like we're scared to come into His presence. But maybe a little. I'd be quaking if He came up in here. Jude one twenty three and says, and others save with fear. It's talking about ways to save, get people saved. He said, some of them you got to save with fear. You know, I told my daughter about Jesus and how good he was and how he died on the cross and all that. And until she was seven, eight, nine years old, I told her every day. But it wasn't until I told her about hell was hot and it was forever that she said, Daddy, I want to get saved. Now, I'm not suggesting you go put fear in your eight or nine-year-old, okay? I, I was a little gung-ho, but. But fear is a legitimate tool in soul winning. Have your daddy ever said, boy, if you don't get in this house, I'm going to take my belt off. And you come running in that house. Did you? Why? Because you saw the goodness of your daddy? No, because you saw that belt coming off. Some, some people get saved one way, some people get saved another. But it's an important decision and they need to know the, the terms of the deal. So assurance number one. By faith in Christ, we can be assured of a home in heaven. And it's eternal life. What does eternal mean? That's forever. He said, no man will snatch you out of my hand. I got you. It's eternal life. Do I believe in once saved, always saved? I don't know. But I know I'm saved, and that's all I care about. I don't want to find out. I don't want to backslide and find out if once saved, always saved. I'm going to be saved. I don't know for sure there's some scriptures that could lean either way. And I've always been on the fence. My heart believes that you're once saved, always saved if you're really saved. But I'm not going to preach it. I think God leaves some things ambiguous for us to figure out on our own. For us to, we don't need to know. You on a need to know basis. You need to know you need to get saved and that's about it. Other than that, you just trust him with the rest. <laughs> So assurance number one, you can know you're going to heaven. Assurance number two, you can know you're going to hell. Assurance number three. Once we get saved, we will never partake of all the goodness that God has for us if we don't have faith. You see, there's an old, there's old covenants that you see in the Old Testament. There were several old covenants that God made with the people. It was God making a covenant with the people. And what would happen? We'd break our end of the covenant. Every time. The people would not do right. They, they would not do right. So God said okay. I'm going to make a new covenant. And I'm not just going to tell them what they got to do. I'm going to write my laws on their heart. And I'm not going to make a covenant with the people. Who are fallible and will mess it up. I'm going to make a covenant with my own son. And I'm going to let them in on it through Christ. And it's going to be a better covenant than the old covenant with better promises. It's going to last forever because it's a covenant between two people who cannot lie. And so he made a covenant with his son. 
ratified in the blood of his own son. And we enter into that covenant through faith, saved by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything to earn it, but believe it. We believed in Christ and we went into Christ. We came into Christ. And all the promises of, of God are yes and amen in Him. And so we, we slipped over in Christ when we believed in Him. And so we're part of the covenant. A new covenant, a better covenant. And our responsibility to the covenant is what? Faith. That's what God requires of us. It's impossible to please God without faith. He that comes to Him must believe that He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Our part of the covenant is to continue to believe. To have faith in what Jesus... How did you get saved? Faith. By trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. How do you live a life sanctified unto God? Keeping your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith. How do you do it? Faith in the Son of God. Faith that He love for Him. How does faith work? By love. Your love for Christ will keep you straight, keep you doing right, keep you out of condemnation. Our responsibility is to stay in faith. Second Corinthians one verse nineteen says, "For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no." He's not up there thinking, hmm, you know, I wanted to save them, but they ain't acting right today. No, I changed my mind. That's it. You're out of here. I'm giving you the boot. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He does not waver between yes and no. He's the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. That's Paul talking. And as God's ultimate yes he always does what He says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Where are they at? They're in Christ. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. In the King James, it says the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. And uh, then it goes on to say uh, He's our... Never mind, I lost it. I was doing good. Dead coming. I lost it. I had it. But never mind. Isaiah 48, 18 says, Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves of the sea. His promises are there. They're yes and amen. He says yes. And we say amen, and we receive those promises, and they, they should be rolling over us like a gentle wave, and we should be like in a gentle river or whatever it says there in Isaiah, that you had listened to my commands. But is listening enough? James one twenty two says, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. What are we talking about? Assurance that you can be saved but still not walk in, in life here on this earth that, you, that you, He called you to live in. 
You can, you can get saved and still live like the heathen that you were before. And not enjoy any of the life. Who would want to do that? You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. And I wonder how many people in pews all over American churches today are mentally ascending to the things of God. But there was never really a heart change. They're only fooling themselves. They're not walking in. They're not even saved. Some of them may be saved, but they're not even. They've let their heart get callous through sin and they're not letting God change them. They're not they're not moving forward in their Christianity For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and forget what you look like. You look in the word of God and you see a picture of who you're supposed to be. But then you walk away and you put your Bible down. You don't read it for another six months and you have forgotten who you are. And time and the devil and circumstances and the storms of life will come and beat it out of you and you forget what manner of man or woman that you're called to be. And you forget what you look like. And if you, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, But even more blessed are those who hear the Word of God and put it into practice. Don't just hear it and say, yeah, amen, brother, but ain't lived the first promise out yet. Hadn't had faith to receive the sniffles being healed. (laughs) Faith without works is what? Being alone. We're not saved by our works. But if your faith didn't have works, then you wasn't saved by faith either. You're fooling yourself. Your faith is going to have some works because that's what you believe. And what you believe, you will be. That was good. That was for free. I'm not even charging you for that one. Okay, assurance of home in heaven or assurance of a home in hell. Assurance that... You will not live out God's best without faith. It's impossible to please Him without believing that the promises are real and believing that He wants you to have them and you, and you do the commandments so that you can walk in the blessing. And number four, we don't have to live under condemnation. I know I have struggled with condemnation for many, many years, I'm, I think I've preached myself happy so many times that I'm almost over it. I am over it. I am not going to live in the condemnation anymore. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Remember what happened when you got saved. You were placed in Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, I'll put it into King James because a lot of the newer translations leave out that part about walking in the 
in the spirit, not in the flesh. But I like that part. I used to think that that means that, you know, if I walk in the flesh and I make some mistakes, then there should be condemnation. Well, is there condemnation when you, after you've been saved and you sin? It's not from God, but it's from you. Sin separates and you feel bad. You could put it like this. Who think not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because if you're thinking on the flesh, that's where you were before you got saved. You had to get over to thinking about what Jesus did in the Spirit realm to get saved. And now you have to think according to the Spirit. You have to remind yourself that there's therefore now no condemnation to me. Even if I sin, even if my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. His blood has already covered me. And if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness again so that we can renew the relationship and you don't feel separated and you don't get back under condemnation. Look, condemnation is a tool from the enemy. When, when God says you're, you're not under condemnation, don't let the enemy bring it back in because what He's trying to do is separate you from God so you, you never live out the promises. And when you feel condemned... You begin to identify with the flesh. You begin to think according to the flesh. And when you think according to the flesh, you do the things of the flesh. But when you think according to the Spirit, and you think about what Jesus did in the Spirit, how much He loved you and how much He gave Himself for you, then out of a love and a gratitude, not out of manipulation like the other religions, but out of love and gratitude of, for your Savior Jesus Christ, you want to please Him. You want to read your word. You want to go to church. How many of you wanted to go to church tonight? I don't see people in here tonight that that's, uh, it's like pulling teeth to come. I see people who would have put, some, put something else on their schedule aside to make it tonight. Because they want to be here. Because they love Jesus. Which one of you was made to be here? Don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> Somebody's wife, oh, no, no, God doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you to give out of compulsion. He wants you to be a cheerful giver. He don't want you to be here because you just got to because it's a thing. He don't want you to read your Bible because you got, you're under condemnation. You feel, you make yourself feel bad if you don't. He wants you to walk in the spirit where there's life and peace and joy and he wants you to live let me go on from here. Where was I at? We got saved by grace in the Spirit, but we keep putting ourselves back under the law. You didn't do anything. You didn't earn your salvation, but now that you're saved, you feel like you've got to earn your way to God, earn His respect, earn this. I did. I thought I had to, to really show Him how much I'm grateful. Galatians 3.1 says, oh foolish Galatians. See, Paul was dealing with the Galatians about this very same thing. They got saved. And now they want to go back to all the old Jewish customs and religions and uh, uh, religious laws and stuff. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. He said, I painted the picture that he did the work. And let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? 
Otherwise, did you get saved by the law? No. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after you started your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And see, when you hear these things, some people jump up and say, Oh, you're preaching. They got a license to sin. They don't even have to try to work. They don't have to try. When you've been set free from the bondage of sin, what reasonable person would want to go back into it? If I'm talking to people that's so ignorant, then then they probably wasn't smart enough to to be here tonight. Yeah. They're still out in the rain. <laughs> Condemnation comes when we lose sight of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And we make it about ourselves again. I know it's just natural for us to feel just horrible when we've sinned after we got saved. We ought to know better. But just get it under the blood and run back to Him. And guess what? You confess your sins, I promise you, He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you don't believe my promise, believe the Word of God. I promise you, I have lived this out. I have made my share of mistakes. And He has forgiven me every time and He loves me back up on my feet and get going again. He doesn't want you walling around, running from Him, hiding because you're, you're feeling guilty. He doesn't want you under condemnation. That's the devil. If you hear somebody, a voice of somebody beating you up, then it's either your own human nature or it's the devil. Now God will correct you, but His correction will lead to life. His correction will spur you to be better it will be encouraging. We don't partake of God's best when we see ourselves as little fleshlings. Instead, when we see ourselves as His sons and daughters who have His Spirit and we know His love, then we become the best version because you will become what you see about yourself. God told Abraham, if you can see it, you can have it. If you see yourself as a son and daughter of God, you can be it. You see yourself as a sinner, you'll be you'll you'll be it. But you see yourself as a saint, saved by grace. Oh, you'll be more than an overcomer. We got to live to the fullness of our blessed assurance. So there we were in the boat, and lightning striking all around us, and we just putting down the lake. Freezing to death, not a rain suit or a jacket or anything in the boat, barefoot. And it's just a miracle that we survived. And, and I wonder how many people out there are living life like that. Just weathering the storms without Jesus in the boat. And you don't know when that lightning's going to strike. You don't know when your time is up. And you know what we could say? We could, I could say, well, we survived. But is that really what you want, want to say about your life? Hey, guess what? I survived. I made it. And that's what many people, I mean, I made it through another week. I survived. That's not living. 
Turn to Mark 4 and we'll close. Four things we learned that we have assurance. You either have a home in heaven or you've got one in hell. That you won't have the promises of God without faith. But you don't have to live under condemnation. And, and that right there will give you faith. Mark 4, verse 35. We're going to talk about another little boat ride. <clears throat> it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That's the promise. That's the promise. If you trust in Jesus, if you let Jesus in your boat, you're getting to the other side. If Jesus is in your boat, you will make it to the other side. That's the promise. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Now I want you to know when you follow Jesus, not everybody's going to follow with you. You're going to lose some folks. But soon a fierce storm came up, just like at Lakeview. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And I can just see those disciples panicking, and they got their little buckets, and they're bailing, and, and they're bailing. And this storm has got them all nervous and uptight. And, and I just see people everywhere I go. Sometimes it seems like in my life, one storm hitting after next, and, and I'm just bailing and I'm bailing. And some people, it never ends. Without Jesus, I don't know how people get up and, and face another day. They're just continually bailing, just trying to keep their head above water, so to speak. And so these disciples are bailing. And it says Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. How, how is he doing it? How, how are these wind, this wind and these waves and this howling thunderstorm and, and all the other disciples screaming and hollering and bailing and panicking and rushing around, sort of like going to the Walmart on Saturday morning? How is he asleep? Because Jesus has already spoke on the matter. He's going to the other side. And he ain't worried about it. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? But my question is, how can you drown in a boat with God? Some of you think, I'm going down. The doctor's report. Or you, this new bill came in. I don't have the money. I'm, going, I'm drowning. I'm not going to make it. Just relax. God's in the boat. They can't eat you. Hey, you are the light of the world, my buddy. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped 
And there was a great calm. And when I said the word calm, some of you said, oh, Jesus, I know, I know that great calm. I know him by name. I know when my boat's rocking, and it doesn't look like I'm going to make it. There's a name that can come to my lips that'll bring me a great calm. He should be a great calming force in our life. Verse 40 says, Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why didn't you speak to the storm? I taught you to do the things that I... I gave you the authority of my name, didn't I? I gave you authority over the principalities of this world. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now you go. I gave you authority to use my name. Why, why, why didn't you speak? Why didn't you let me sleep? Why didn't you say something? He's absolutely astounded that they have no faith after all he, they have seen him do in their lives. And I can imagine if, if he's anything to you like he is to me, he's done a lot in your life. And all those times you thought the bills wasn't going to get paid and the lights was going to get turned out, in the dark you made it through, you know. <laughs> you, it's not the end of the world if the lights get turned out. You got somebody important to you that, this, this, that dies or something? Okay, that's rough, that's rough. But if they know Jesus, it's just a promotion. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Now they're more terrified than they were when the storm. You ever seen God do a miracle in your life? It's like, this is real. They were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. We need to be able to declare in our lives, peace be still. I got Jesus in my boat. Everything's going to be all right. And there's a world out there just a rocking, bailing, no rain suit, soaking wet out there, not knowing when lightning's going to strike. Ain't got no motor to get them home. And here we are on this big safe ark. We need to pull up to it beside them and say, hey, here's the choices. You got an assurance of heaven or you, you can have an assurance of hell. You don't have to live in condemnation. If you got the faith to believe, you got the faith to receive the promises of God and, and live that life and life more abundantly and see that God is good and He will calm your storm. If He's in the boat with you, you're going to the other side. Well, Father, I just thank You for this message tonight. I thank You that it, that, that it touched the lives of soul winners. I believe they probably already knew all these principles, Lord. But it's a refreshing. And we're putting things in order in our, in our understanding. When we're putting it in perspective of, of telling others and how we can relay this message.
The importance of this message. The severity, heaven or hell, of this message. Of Jesus and Him crucified and resurrected. Eternal life. Or eternal separation from life. Lord, help us. Help us be so grounded. Lord, if there's anybody in here that's, that struggles with condemnation, I know it tries to creep back up on me and, it, and the devil will keep pushing those buttons if they keep working. But Father God, I pray that every time the devil says, look what you did, that we would say, look what Jesus did. Mm. Paid in full. Paid in full because of your blood, Jesus. Help us put our faith, our trust, and our hope in you where it, that's the only place we, we know to go. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.